Section 8 of the World's Famous Orations, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Philip Gould. The World's Famous Orations, Volume 2. On Being Accused of a Low Origin, by Gaius Marius. Gaius Marius on Being Accused of a Low Origin. Born about 156 B.C., died in 86. Served in Africa under the younger Scipio. Married Julia, the aunt of Julius Caesar. Elected consul of the plebs in 107. Successfully conducted war against Jugurtha in 106. The Teutons in 103-102. And the Cimbri in 101. Made consul for the sixth time in 100. Suppressed civil war under Sulla in 88-87. Consul again in 86. Footnote. Delivered in 106 B.C. before an assembly of the people in Rome, called by himself, as well as to encourage them to enlist, says Sallust, as to inveigh according to his practice against the nobility. Reported by Sallust. Translated by John S. Watson. End footnote. 106 B.C. I am sensible, my fellow citizens, that the eyes of all men are turned upon me, that the just and good favor me as my services are beneficial to the state, but that the nobility seek occasion to attack me. I must therefore use the greater exertion that you may not be deceived in me, and that their views may be rendered abortive. I have led such a life, indeed from my boyhood to the present hour, that I am familiar with every kind of toil and danger and that exertion which, before your kindness to me, I practice gratuitously, it is not my intention to relax after having received my reward. For those who have pretended to be men of worth only to secure their election, it may be difficult to conduct themselves properly in office. But to me, who has passed my whole life in the most honorable occupations, to act well has from habit become nature." You have commanded me to carry on the war against Jugurtha, a commission at which the nobility are highly offended. Footnote. War against Jugurtha, king of Numidia, had been declared six years before in 112 B.C., but owing to bribes from Jugurtha, no Roman general had fought him successfully until 109, when Metellus forced him to seek protection from another African king. Marius now succeeded Metellus, under whom, in a previous campaign, he had served. End footnote. Consider with yourselves, I pray you, whether it would be a change for the better if you were to send to this, or to any other such appointment, one of yonder crowd of nobles, a man of ancient family, of innumerable statues, and of no military experience, in order forsooth that in so important an office, and being ignorant of everything connected with it, he may exhibit hurry, and trepidation, and select one of the people to instruct him in his duty. For so it generally happens that he whom you have chosen to direct seeks another to direct him. I know some, my fellow citizens, who, after they have been elected consuls, have begun to read the acts of their ancestors, and the military precepts of the Greeks. Persons who invert the order of things, for though to discharge the duties of the office is posterior, in point of time, to election, it is in reality and practical importance prior to it. Compare now, my fellow citizens, me, who am a new man, with those haughty nobles. 
What they have but heard or read, I have witnessed or performed. What they have learned from books, I have acquired in the field. And whether deeds or words are of greater estimation, it is for you to consider. They despise my humbleness of birth. I condemn their imbecility. My condition is made an objection to me. Their misconduct is a reproach to them. The circumstance of birth, indeed, I consider, is one and the same to all, but think that he who best exerts himself is the noblest. And could it be inquired of the fathers of Albinus and Bestia, whether they would rather be the parents of them, or of me? What do you suppose that they would answer, but that they would wish the most deserving to be their offspring? If the patricians justly despise me, let them also despise their own ancestors, whose nobility, like mine, had its origin and merit. They envy me the honor that I have received. Let them also envy me the toils, the abstinence, and the perils by which I obtained that honor. But they, men eaten up with pride, live as if they disdained all the distinctions that you can bestow, and yet sue for those distinctions as if they had lived so as to merit them. Yet those are assuredly deceived who expect to enjoy, at the same time, things so incompatible as the pleasures of indolence and the rewards of honorable exertion. When they speak before you, or in the Senate, they occupy the greatest part of their orations in extolling their ancestors, for they suppose that, by recounting the heroic deeds of their forefathers, they render themselves more illustrious. But the reverse of this is the case. For the more glorious were the lives of their ancestors, the more scandalous is their own inaction. The truth indeed is plainly this, that the glory of ancestors sheds a light on their posterity which suffers neither their virtues nor their vices to be concealed. Of this light, my fellow citizens, I have no share, but I have what confers much more distinction, the power of relating my own actions. Consider then how unreasonable they are. What they claim to themselves for the merit of others, they will not grant me for my own, alleging, forsooth, that I have no statues, and that my distinction is newly acquired. But it is surely better to have acquired such distinction myself, than to bring disgrace on that received from others. I am not ignorant that, if they were inclined to reply to me, they would make an abundant display of eloquent and artful language. Yet since they attack both you and myself, on occasion of the great favor which you have conferred upon me, I did not think proper to be silent before them, lest any one should construe my forbearance into a consciousness of demerit. As for myself, indeed, nothing that is said of me, I feel assured, can do me injury. For what is true must of necessity speak in my favor. What is false my life and character will refute. But since your judgment in bestowing on me so distinguished an honor, and so important a trust, is called in question, consider, I beseech you, again and again, whether you are likely to repent of what you have done. I cannot, to raise your confidence in me, boast of the statues, or triumphs, or consulships of my ancestors. But if it be thought necessary, I can show you spears, a banner, caparisons for horses and other military rewards besides the scars of wounds on my breast these are my statues this is my nobility honors not left like theirs by inheritance 
but acquired amid innumerable toils and dangers. My speech, they say, is inelegant, but that I have ever thought of little importance. Worth sufficiently displays itself. It is for my detractors to use studied language that they may palliate base conduct by plausible words. Nor have I learned Greek, for I had no wish to acquire a tongue that adds nothing to the valor of those who teach it. But I have gained other accomplishments, such as are of the utmost benefit to a state. I have learned to strike down an enemy, to be vigilant at my post, to fear nothing but dishonor, to bear cold and heat with equal endurance, to sleep on the ground, and to sustain at the same time hunger and fatigue. And with such rules of conduct I shall stimulate my soldiers, not treating them with rigor and myself with indulgence, nor making their toils my glory. Such a mode of commanding is at once useful to the state and becoming to a citizen. For to coerce your troops with severity, while you yourself live at ease, is to be a tyrant, not a general. It was by conduct such as this, my fellow citizens, that your ancestors made themselves and the republic renowned. Our nobility, relying on their forefathers' merits, though totally different from them in conduct, disparage us who emulate their virtues, and demand of you every public honor, as due not to their personal merit, but to their high rank. Arrogant pretenders and utterly unreasonable. For though their ancestors left them all that was at their disposal, their riches, their statues, and their glorious names, they left them not, nor could leave them, their virtue, which alone of all their possessions could neither be communicated nor received. They reproach me as being mean and of unpolished manners, because, forsooth, I have but little skill in arranging an entertainment, and keep no actor, nor give my cook higher wages than my steward. All which charges I must indeed acknowledge to be just. For I learned from my father and other venerable characters that vain indulgences belong to women, and labor to men, that glory rather than wealth should be the object of the virtuous, and that arms and armor, not household furniture, are marks of honor. But let the nobility, if they please, pursue what is delightful and dear to them. Let them devote themselves to licentiousness and luxury. Let them pass their age as they have passed their youth, in revelry and feasting, the slaves of gluttony and debauchery. But let them leave the toil and dust of the field and other such matters to us, to whom they are more grateful than banquets. This, however, they will not do. For when these most infamous of men have disgraced themselves by every species of turpitude, they proceed to claim the distinctions due to the most honorable. Thus it most unjustly happens that luxury and indolence, the most disgraceful of vices, are harmless to those who indulge in them, and fatal only to the innocent commonwealth. As I have now replied to my calumniators as far as my own character required, though not so fully as their flagitiousness deserved, I shall add a few more words on the state of public affairs. In the first place, my fellow citizens, be of good courage with regard to Numidia, for all that hitherto protected Jugurtha, avarice, inexperience, and arrogance, you have entirely removed. There is an army in it, too, which is well acquainted with the country, though assuredly more brave than fortunate, 
for a great part of it has been destroyed by the avarice or rashness of its commanders. Such of you, then, as are of military age, cooperate with me, and support the cause of your country, and let no discouragement from the ill fortune of others, or the arrogance of the late commanders, affect any one of you. I myself shall be with you, both on the march and in the battle, both to direct your movements and to share your dangers. I shall treat you and myself on every occasion alike, and, doubtless, with the aid of the gods, all good things, victory, spoil, and glory, are ready to our hands, though even if they were doubtful or distant, it would still become every able citizen to act in defense of his country. For no man by slothful timidity has escaped the lot of mortals, nor has any parent wished for his children that they might live forever, but rather that they might act in life with virtue and honor. I would add more, my fellow citizens, if words could give courage to the faint-hearted. To the brave, I think that I have said enough. End of section 8. Recording by Philip Gould.